0: We've been walking through the story of Acts, and we're uh, getting ever so close to being done uh, with Acts. Um, And uh, we titled this, we branded this, however you want to say it, Acts. And our tagline, our little phrase at the end was, There is joy in the journey. Uh, And you may have, that's not new to us, that's a phrase we've heard before. uh, But it's a phrase that we've used a lot that there is joy in the journey. It sounds great, it sounds good, it's catchy, it's memorable. But the question I honestly wanted to ask and then answer today, but is it true? Is it actually true that there is joy in the journey? Um, It's nice to say it. It sounds appealing, but is it actually a truthful statement to say that there is joy in the journey? Because what if your journey, what if the road that you're currently walking on is more marked by pain or persecution or frustration or toil or disappointment or confusion? Or what if your road right now just is like blah. There's nothing great. There's nothing bad. It just just feels like just kind of blah. Um, So is it true for you that there is actually joy in the journey? Is there really joy to be had? And I want us to be not confused uh, the difference between being happy uh, and actually having joy. Because uh, there is a tremendous difference between happiness and joy. And uh, D.L. Moody uh, made a, said it very well. And he said this, happiness is caused by things that happen around me and circumstances will mar it. So he's basically saying happiness is caused by things that happen around me. But as those things aren't happening anymore or other things begin to happen, happiness can fade very quickly. But he goes on to say, but joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows, uh, flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows through the persecution and the opposition. And he just goes on to talk about happiness. It's conditional where joy, it's unshakable. It's unconditional. Because joy is not based on something that's happening, as it were. Um, joy is based, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is it actually possible to have joy on the journey that God has called us to walk? Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I've never met someone who was like, Michael, I don't want joy. I just want to exist. I just want to coast. I don't really want joy in my life. I'm content just to choose misery. I'm content just to choose momentary um, times of of happiness, but I don't care if it lasts. I've never met someone like that, uh, and I'm probably going to guess that you haven't either. What I have actually met more often than not is joy seekers. People are actually seeking for something meaningful, something that will actually last more than just the moment. Uh, And again, my question is, if we are at some level all joy seekers Where does it come from? Can we actually have joy in the journey that God has called us to? Uh, This morning we're looking at Acts chapter 21, uh, and specifically Paul is headed into the city of Jerusalem, and Paul is feeling compelled by God to go to this place, Uh, and I want to go to the city of Jerusalem, and really what I wanted to do this morning with you is share some things that I learned from this chapter, uh, Acts 21, of where did Paul's joy come from? because Paul's a guy who got beat up a lot, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically. He was a guy who got beat up quite a bit. He was mocked. He was persecuted. He was beaten, imprisoned, all of it. But yet, as I consider what scripture teaches us about the apostle Paul is he had great joy. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because everything in his life screamed pain, suffering, hardship, rejection. But yet Paul speaks of the great joy that he has. So this morning, I just want to share with you quickly three things that I learned of how we can actually have joy in the journey that God has called us to. And the first one is simply this. Joy comes from being where God wants you to be, doing all he wants you to be doing. Joy, if you're going to have joy on the journey, joy comes from being where God wants you to be and doing all that he wants you to be doing. So the flip side of this is if you just pursue a life of doing what you want, when you want, how you want, there's not going to be joy. There might be moments of happiness, uh, but I promise you those moments will be fading quickly until you decide, well, maybe if I try this, then I'll get that feeling back. Joy, it comes from being where God wants you and doing what God wants. Um, Remember last week, and if you don't, that's okay, Paul was going to Jerusalem because he, was, he knew that's where God wanted him to be. But this is the thing with Paul going to Jerusalem. He knew that by going to Jerusalem, it was nothing but pain and suffering and hardship waiting for him. But yet he still went anyways. This is what it says in Acts 21 verse 11. Uh, and this is a man we introduced you to last week named Agabus. And it said, he, being Agabus, came over. He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Pretty encouraging, right? Paul, is this your belt? All right, let me have it. I'm going to tie it around my arms. I'm going to tie it around my feet. And just so you know, this is what awaits you in Jerusalem hardship, suffering, imprisonment. Now, you skip down to verse 17 when we, Paul's traveling with some folks, when we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. Okay, this might not seem like a big deal, like more of a detail verse, but what I really want you to catch in that one verse, verse 17, when it says, when we arrived, Paul had 1,000 miles between where he was in Ephesus and where he was going to Jerusalem to change his mind. He had 1,000 miles to rethink, do I really want to go to this place where suffering, pain, hardship, persecution, imprisonment is actually awaiting me? He had the knowledge of the hard road ahead, but still walked that road. And so my question is, why? Why would you walk a road if you knew that the road awaiting you and the things that at the end of that road was gonna be pain, and suffering. Who in the right mind would do that? And my answer to that question from Paul is his joy was rooted in being where God wanted him to be and doing all that God wanted him to be doing, even if it meant walking a hard road, even if it meant a road that was going to have suffering and pain. His joy came from doing what God wanted, not walking a thousand miles in the opposite direction. Now, I don't know if this resonates or connects with you, but often for me, it's easy to believe the lie that if I could just be here, then I'd have joy. If I could just be here, if I could just enter into this season of my life, I know I would have joy. It's easy for me to believe the lie that if I could just have this, whatever the this is, whether it's a a possession, whether it's a person, meaning like a relationship, uh, if I could just have this, then there would be joy. It's easy to believe the lie that if I could just do this, if I could just accomplish this, if I could just have this kind of as, a tra- as part of my, my story, if I could just have this and do this, I know that there would be joy. But Paul, he didn't buy into the delusion that joy comes from being in a certain place, having certain possessions, or having a special position. I don't know if you wrestle with this, but I know I have. I've wrestled so many times, If I could just do this, if I could just be here, if I could just have this, then I just know that there would be more joy. And every time I pursued what I thought that would be, uh, were there moments of fleeting, fading happiness? Sure. But was there joy? No. Why? Because there's absolutely no joy in doing what you want to do when you want to do it. There's joy in doing what God wants you to do and being where God wants you to be. Um, If you're looking maybe for a challenging read, uh, and it is, uh, St. Augustine's book, uh, Confessions, is really just his story of how he even came to faith and what he was like before he came to faith, his process in coming to faith, and what life was like afterwards. And he talks about he pursued joy. He was a joy seeker, like all of us are, but he pursued joy in the things of this world. And he pursued it in relationships with women, he pursued it in status, he pursued it in so many different places until he came and he met Jesus. Uh, And he says this in his book, Confessions. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. I wanted joy, and I was looking for it in all of these things. And I was so afraid that if I gave up those things or walked away from those things and turned to you that I actually wouldn't have it. But what he says in his journey is you actually drove them from me. Why? Because you're the true, lasting, sovereign joy. You replaced everything that I thought with yourself. Now, I wanted to ask a question of kind of how you would fill in the blank here. Uh, If I could have this I know that I would have joy what's your this what's, what's your fill in the blank if I could just be here or do this or, or have this what would your this be what is that one thing maybe those two things that I just know if I could be in this season or if I could have this I would have such greater joy in the journey that I'm in Now, I'm going to venture might be some people who would say, yeah, I would like a bigger house or I want more money or I want a a greater job. But I think most of us realize uh, that more stuff doesn't necessarily equal joy. Um, So I'm going to venture to say most of us here are this is not like if I just had a billion dollars, then I would have joy. Or if I had a bigger house, a bigger career, more vacations, nicer car and another boat, whatever it is. I think most of us don't buy into the lie that if we had that, we'd actually experience joy. What I think for a lot of us, maybe not all, but I think for a lot of us, our fill in the blank is, if I could just have the absence of pain and the absence of suffering, then I know that I would be be joyful. If I could just have uh, kind of a smooth sailing road, no turns, no bumps, if I could just have that, Because my life right now is marked by drama and chaos, and if I could just have no more pain, no more hurt, disappointment, frustration, if that could just be gone, I know if that was absent, what would be present would actually be joy. Uh, Sam Storms, who is um, a pastor, author, teacher, said this very well, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Because Paul, why did he have joy? Because he was with God. He was, where God wanted, he was where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. And his life was marked by joy. Do you know who else had that same joy? Jesus. Jesus knew that God wanted him to be in Jerusalem, to lay his life down, And so it says in Scripture that his heart was steadfast in going to where God wanted him to be, which was Jerusalem. And the author of Hebrews says it very well. I think we'll have it up on here. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2 We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. I'll just stop there. I can't imagine the pain physical, emotional, relational, spiritual that came with the cross, but there was great joy. Because of the great joy of being where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do, Jesus experienced joy. Paul, despite everything that he would endure, where he was, doing what he was doing was exactly what God had for him. And because of that, there was joy. Before I share with you the second thing, I just wanted to ask you the question, are you where God wants you to be? And I don't mean just geographically, but are you where God wants you to be? And I mean fully, not like partially. It's kind of like if you're a parent and you have kids and you're like, I need you to sit down. I don't want to sit down. I need you to sit down. Fine, I'm sitting, but I'm standing in my heart. And I think a lot of us, those kids grow up to be adults like us who like, well, I'm here, God, because I know you want me here, but I'm not really here. I'm, I'm sitting here, but I'm standing there. Why? Because I think being over here is better for me. I think this is going to turn out more so how I want it to turn out. So my question is, are you where God wants you to be? And I mean fully there, all in. and Not with the attitude of, yeah, yeah, but I'm standing. I know I'm over here and you want me there, so I'll have the appearance of being there. But at a heart level, at a soul level, I'm fighting you over here. If you would have joy in the journey and I just convinced God wants you to have joy in the journey, then we would be where God wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do. The second thing I'd share with you from Paul's example is this Joy comes from celebrating all that God has done in your midst. Joy comes from celebrating all that God has done in your midst. Challenging question for you would be When you look backwards, are you able to celebrate and give thanks? When I mean, when I say when you look backwards, When you look back to what happened yesterday, when you look back to what happened this past week, when you look back to what happened over the past few weeks, the past few months, when you look backwards, are you able to say, I give thanks, I celebrate all that God accomplished and all that God did? Or when you look backwards, is it more of like, well, that was a crappy season. That was just painful, it was hard, I'm so glad I am over that, I'm done with that, and I'm through that because when I consider the Apostle Paul, when he looked backwards, he was able to celebrate and give thanks. And if you consider a guy who could look backwards and complain, it would be the Apostle Paul. Yeah, because I got beat up. I was stoned. I was left for dead. I was attacked by mob after mob after mob. I was rejected by the people that I was seeking to love. I was mocked. I was ridiculed. But yet when the Apostle Paul looks backwards, he's able to celebrate all that God was doing in his midst. It says in Acts 21, verse 18 and 19, the next day, Paul went with us to meet with James. So he's in Jerusalem, and all of the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. Uh, They would roughly say there's maybe about 70 to 100 different elders at the church at this time. So pretty big gathering. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul gave a detailed account uh, of all that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. Uh, If you have uh, an ESV Bible, English Standard Version, I like how it reads, just this section. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done. One by one, let's walk through what I got to see God do. Now, what I love about Paul is he didn't just settle for saying, Hey guys, I'm back in Jerusalem. Well, how are things going? Well, man, God's good, and someone shouted, Yeah, all the time. And that's true that God is good all the time, and that's not inaccurate to say, but I love that Paul didn't settle for the generality of, yeah, God is good. I don't really believe he's good, and I don't have too many stories of his goodness but I know it's theologically correct and it makes me seem more spiritual to say, yeah, God is good. Well, how? And I love when Paul looked back. He didn't look back of his beatings and imprisonments and being attacked by people. He gave a one-by-one account of everything that he had seen God do through his ministry. Now, maybe a fair question is, do you think he was encouraged as he recounted everything that he saw God do? Because I think sometimes we forget, we forget very easily, often and quickly, the things that God did yesterday, the things that God did the week before. And we get focused on what we don't think is happening, or we get focused on the pain that we might be experiencing that we completely forget. No, but God was doing these things in my midst, in my life, through my life, around my life. And I think as he gave a detailed account, he was getting more encouraged to say, you know what? There is great joy in actually celebrating God, who God is and what God has done. Now, I don't know what uh, Paul would have to say to us about selfies. Uh, I couldn't find any Bible verses that had to do with selfies. Uh, And if you're not familiar with what a selfie is, uh, the ever uh, reliable uh, Wikipedia says this. A selfie is a self-portrait photograph, typically taken with a handheld digital camera or camera phone, selfies are often shared on social network services. They are often casual and are typically taken either with a camera held at arm's length or in a mirror. And so selfies are literally pictures of people taking pictures of themselves. Um, And if you're thinking, wow, I do that all the time, well, then you probably might not like what I have to say. But it's very interesting to me... uh, kind of the turn of what's happening, especially just recently, with this whole idea of just selfies. And I am sometimes, to be honest with you, amazed at the selfies that people take. A dude taking his shirt off, standing in front of the mirror like this, so we can see that he's buff, he's ripped, he's got a a 50-pack right here. (laughs) I'm just amazed at the pictures women will post of them standing in front of the mirror. And it's To me, I'm just being straight and honest with you. It's discouraging of we become a culture that is obsessed with ourselves, obsessed with what we're seeing, with what we're doing, with what's happening in my world, and I want you to celebrate what's happening with me. Look at my 50-pack. Well, not mine, but... (laughs) I just, I think Paul would not be pleased with that. I... Look at the Apostle Paul, and he was not obsessed with himself. When he celebrated, he didn't celebrate Paul. He celebrated God. And there is a tremendous difference, a big difference of celebrating you, a selfie as it were, and drawing attention to you, and actually drawing attention to who God is and what God has done or what God is actually doing. Uh, He would go on later to say in uh, his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Boast about God. If you're going to use social media, don't boast about you. Boast about God. Boast about who God is, what God is doing. Paul boasted about the Lord. He celebrated God, and because of that, there was great joy. There was great joy. Question for you would just be this. What are you celebrating today? What are you boasting about? What are you celebrating? As you look back over the past 72 hours, and I would ask you, what are you celebrating? And it's, it's, it's more than just, well, God's been good this past weekend. Okay, well, I believe that. That's, that's theologically true. But how have you experienced that? How are you practically, tangibly experiencing the goodness of God in your life, through your life, around your life? So what are you celebrating? Because if you don't know what you're celebrating, then you're gonna have a hard time having joy in the journey. For me, if you ask me, Michael, what are you celebrating right now? Over the past 24 hours? Last night, I had the incredible opportunity of standing next to a soon-to-be husband Who just placed his faith in Jesus. And I remember I met this person about a year ago, um, and he said, hey, we really want you to do our wedding. Uh, And his fiance at the time uh, had come to faith a little bit before, but he had not. And so I said, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not going to marry you who doesn't have faith, does not believe in, in Jesus, to someone who says that they do. Uh, That would go against conscience. That would go against scripture. He's like, I respect that. I appreciate you telling me. And I was like, so we'll go down this road, but at any moment I will back out. Even if it's the day of, I will back out. And he said, I respect that. So we entered into a year-long conversation uh, with scripture, entered into a year-long conversation with C.S. Lewis. And it was incredible. Three months ago, uh, he went all in. And I told him, I was like, listen, you can't fake me out. Like You can't just tell me you said a prayer, or you believe in Jesus. He said, I would never do that. I'm not gonna cheapen it by just telling you something that I think you wanna hear. I'm either gonna believe or I'm not gonna believe, let's examine it. I was like, I love that. And so three months ago, sitting in my office right there, his now wife was like, so wait, are you telling me that you're a Christian? He's like, I'm a Christian, I'm all in. And last night it was amazing to stand with him in front of a lot of his friends and family who are not where he is, for him to say, my first love will be Jesus. That's what I'm celebrating. And it had nothing to do with me. I just got a great view and a spectator seat. What are you celebrating right now? Because if you don't know and you look back, backwards as it were, and you don't know, you're going to have a very difficult time saying, I'm one who's living, experiencing, and loving the, the joy in the journey. A uh, third thing that I would share with you, begin to wrap up with this, is joy comes from helping others to see Jesus. Joy comes from helping others to see Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, uh, and I hope you're not like me at all in this but I can't stand being misunderstood. I can't stand being misrepresented. When people say, well, you said this, I'm like, ah, oh, gosh, I didn't say that. It's one of the things I've just battled and struggled with for the better part of 41 years. And I don't know about you, but what happens to you when someone misunderstands you, when someone misrepresents you, or when someone just blatantly spreads a lie about you? tells things to other people about you that is just not true, not even close to the truth. I'm going to guess you're similar, that that's just hard, that that is very difficult to, to deal with. And I wrote it down in my journal like this, if we are most concerned with having others think of us in the most positive light, we'll spend our time, effort, and energy seeking to construct an image of ourselves that might look pretty, but it will ultimately hinder people from seeing Jesus. Because I've just spent so much time, I want them to understand me. I want them to know my heart, my motives. I just want them to get me. And so I construct this idea, this identity, this image. And so I realize, you know what? I'm actually just getting in the way of them seeing what they ultimately need to see. They don't need to see a better version of me. They don't need to see a version where they understand, where they get me. What they need to see at the end of the day is they need to see Jesus. And other than Jesus himself... I don't think there was a more misunderstood person in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. People accusing him of saying things he never said, doing things he never did. I can't think of a more misunderstood person other than Jesus than the Apostle Paul. But what I love about Paul is that he was not worried about people seeing him correctly. He was most concerned with people seeing Jesus. And I wrote it down in my journal like this. When you know Jesus, it changes what you need others to know about you. When you know Jesus, it changes everything, specifically what you need others to know about you. So I don't need people to understand me. I don't need people to think positively of me. Because I know Jesus and I know what Jesus thinks of me, I don't need to waste time, effort, energy, emotional bandwidth of trying to get people to think of me in the most positive possible manner. Because I know Jesus It changes what I need others to know. Um, Now, for Paul, he excelled at this. He was misunderstood all the time, misrepresented all the time. And I wanted to finish our last few minutes by really answering the question, if there is joy in the journey and that joy comes from helping others to see Jesus, how can you, how can I learn from Acts 21 this example of helping other people to actually see Jesus? I'll share with you just a very few things as we walk through these verses. Uh, Acts twenty-one. I'll give you the first one. Is this be okay with being misunderstood by those often closest to you? Okay, that's the first. How do we? How can we, me and you, help people see Jesus? Uh, Acts chapter uh, twenty. Uh, the story goes on. Uh, it says in verse twenty, after hearing this, that this being Paul's report of what God had been doing, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. Verse 22, what should we do? they will certainly hear that you have come. I don't know, elders, maybe stand up for Paul and say that's not true. I don't know, maybe represent and say he never said that, he never did that. But what he is saying is he's pointing people, maybe you could start there. And so the ones that were closest to him, the ones that who should understand him, throw up their hand. Well, what should we do? And I think one of the lessons that I've learned along the way is be okay with being misunderstood by those who are often closest to you. The second thing of how we can help people see Jesus, the story goes on, but I'll give you this point, be willing to do whatever it takes to help others see Jesus. story goes on in, in verse 21. Verse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 23. So the elders, the leaders asked, Well, Paul, what should we do? Here's what we want you to do. This is the plan they came up with. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved, Then everyone will know that the rumors are false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. That's the plan? You want Paul to go do something just so you have the appearance that everything you're saying is actually not true? That's your plan? Paul in this moment's got a decision. What do I do? Do I tell them that is ridiculous? You want me to go act like I've been in a purification ceremony for a long time? Not only that, you want me to pay for these other four guys just so I have the appearance and so it looks good? You want me to do something outwardly just so the people who are accusing me falsely will be able to say, well, apparently he loves Jewish customs and Jewish rituals. That's your plan? Paul in that moment could have walked away and said, you guys do not get it. But what I love about what Paul does, he was willing to do whatever it takes to help others to see Jesus. And he did it. If that's your plan, if that's what you think will help win Jews who are stuck in the law, who are stuck in ritual, who are stuck in tradition, if that's what you think will help, then I'm willing to do that. And his heart behind that was simply, he would write about it here in 1 Corinthians 9, To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. You want to know why he did what he did in Acts 21? It's because he wanted to win people to Jesus. And if that would help, then that's what Paul did. My question for me, my question for you, is there anything you'd be unwilling to do if it meant someone actually seeing Jesus? Is there something in your life that you'd say, you know what, I'm not willing to do that. I'm gonna look too silly, that's too foolish, that's just absolutely ridiculous. There's too much of a cost, I'm not willing to go there, I'm not willing to give that up. Is there something that you would actually say, I'm unwilling to do that, Because I see the Apostle Paul, this was not a moment of sin that he was sinning by doing this. Because later in Acts, he would say, I have a clear conscience before God. You don't really say that unless that's true. So I know that Paul, when he did this, was not sinning against God. But what he was doing is, I will do whatever I have to do so that people could see Jesus. Even if it means the silliness of participating in this ritual, paying for it, I'll do it if it means someone else might see Jesus through this example. So is there anything? And my hope for you, for me, is you'd get to the same point and say, you know what? I just want people to see Jesus. And if it means I need to stop doing this or start doing this, or if it means I need to go here or move here or be here for the sake of one person, for the sake of one person, it would be worth it. The third final thing that I would share with you of how can we help people see Jesus Remember, the first one was be okay with being misunderstood. The second one was be willing to do whatever it takes to help others see. And the third, <clears throat> third one, be willing to never give up on those who've given up on you. Be willing to never give up on those who have given up on you. The story continues in Acts 21. This will be a few different verses here in Acts 21, but I want you to hear the intensity with which, with, uh, which uh, Luke is writing this story. Uh, start at uh, verse 26. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men, and they had, uh, they had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered uh, for each of them. So he's aligning themselves with this plan. Verse 27, seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and they roused a mob against him. They grabbed him yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. It's like, are you, are you even half paying attention? What did he just do for the last seven days? What did he just align himself with? This is the man. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing Gentiles. Uh, Verse 30, the whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him as they were trying to kill him. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out to the soldiers and the officers, and he ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. And he asked the crowd, well, who he was and what he had done. And some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in this uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him and the crowd followed behind, uh, followed behind shouting, kill him. Can you imagine the scene? Paul is literally lifted above the rest of the crowd because the rest of the crowd has gone crazy. Kill him, kill him. I don't know what your frame of mind would be at this point in time, but I'd be like, guys, thanks for getting me out of here. Like, can we go to a hotel? Can we go to like somewhere where I will be protected? And says in verse 37, as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you, and I love this, aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? Like in that moment, Paul could have been like, yeah, that's me. I'm that guy. I'm the Egyptian who led a revolt of 4,000 and 4,000. Like, the amount of times this man is misrepresented in Scripture is phenomenal. He says in verse 39, no, Paul replied, I am a Jew, and I'm a citizen of Tarsus, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people if you would help people see Jesus. Be willing to never give up on those who have given up on you. That verse in 39, before you bring me in there, please give me an opportunity to talk to these people. Are you talking about the people who are trying to kill you right now? You want to talk to them? And Paul says, I want to talk to them. I want them to know. And next week, we're going to spend a better part of the message walking through what he actually shared with this crazy crowd who was shouting, kill him, kill him. But what I wanted you to see is Paul, he was unwilling to give up on these people. They were beating him. The mob was shouting, shouting, kill him, kill him. But Paul stopped and said, before you bring me to where you're bringing me, can you please stop? I want to talk to them. When I read that verse, I just get flooded in my heart and my head with how many people I've given up on. Because I feel like they gave up on me Or they bailed on me They're uninterested, they don't care They don't even like me anymore They say hard things about me And my mentality To my shame Has been, well forget, I'll move on But I, I see verse 39 In chapter 21, Paul says I, I want to talk to them I know they want to kill me right now But I, I, I want to talk to them I want to help them see Jesus There is joy in the journey And the joy in the journey doesn't come from your circumstances or what you have or what you don't have. Joy in the journey comes from being with God, being where God wants you and doing what God wants you to be doing. Joy comes from celebrating God in your life, not you in your life, not selfie in your life. Joy comes from celebrating God and what God is doing, and joy comes from helping other people to see.